All right, well, if you would please turn to Luke chapter number 2, and we're going to be in, uh, begin there in verse number 8, Luke chapter 2. It's good to see all of you and to be together for worship in this season of the arrival of Christ as we celebrate his presence with us even this morning. And uh, so we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 as we think about the advent of peace. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse number 8. The Bible says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger now when they had seen him they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it marveled at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was said, as it was told them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for this season where our focus is on your rescue, your pardon, the forgiveness that came to us to heal our brokenness and our sin. God, the great gift that's been given to us, the incredible uh, gift that we're not worthy of and yet you've, you've given in Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you'll sharpen our instinct to worship. God, we pray that you'll draw us near yourself. You'll cleanse away our sin and our failure. And God, we pray that you'll speak to us from your word and by your spirit. And I pray that we'll take the things that you show us and live them among our family and friends and neighbors. And we pray, God, that you'll impress on us the truth of who Jesus is, just as you did these people in the narrative we've seen. And we commit this to you in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. We think about peace in the scripture, the announcement about Jesus that we saw earlier from Isaiah is that he is the prince of peace. And yet, when we think about the world and the the, uh, history that occurred from the coming of Christ until now, we basically see 2,000 years of unceasing turmoil. You know, we think about all that's happened, and recently I read a couple of uh, books about basically fictional account of families during World War II, but it wove in a lot of history, and we think about uh, how destructive, you know, some of those events have been in our world, and we we think, really, peace has come? Uh, The advent of peace brought peace? But when we think about what the scripture is trying to show us, it's less uh, a one-time event that flipped everything as it is a continuing uh, transformative experience that involves us. It involves us, this process of realizing peace. At the end of 
World War II, for example, a lot of armistices were signed and treaties, and basically the war ended on May the 8th, 1945, in uh, VE Day, Victory in Europe. That was the end of the war, but the process of accomplishing peace is really still ongoing and always will be. I think people realized then that uh, it was such an unsafe thing to do now that uh, nuclear weapons were an aspect of it. But it's still uh, quite a bit of work to accomplish peace. The gruesome and exhausting war was over when they signed the documents, but the work was ongoing. And I think when we think about what the scripture teaches us about the kind of peace that Jesus brought, it's a lot like that. There are actually maybe three facets of it that I think we can see in this passage. And one is the peace that comes through the gospel that clearly ends our, uh, the Bible talks about enmity between us and God. That's ended when we surrender to Christ. That's over. And so the gospel brings peace. And then all of us have had the experience of peace that comes from being in a relationship with Christ where life is really difficult and it's full of turmoil. And we know how the Bible promises us in peace inwardly in ourselves. But there's another aspect of peace, and it's the outworking of it in our relationships that the video that we saw refers to as well. So we think about what peace means and of course it's multifaceted and I think this narrative in the Bible gives us a very good insight into how peace occurs and what it looks like uh, to those first people and also to you and I and so this is a very simple message that just follows the flow of uh, this this narrative that God left us in the gospel of Luke and Luke we know was a historian and so what he gives us is communicated as a history of Jesus and what he brought to us. So the first aspect of what peace looked like in the first advent that we see or the way that this story is uh, given to us is that the shepherds watch their flocks. And we're all familiar with this and maybe uh, it's memorialized in your foyer, you know, in a uh, display of some kind because we often do that. But the scripture here says these uh, guys were camping in the neighborhood. That's the way one paraphrase puts it, shepherds camping in the neighborhood. Well, guess who else happened to be camping in the neighborhood that night? Only God in the form of a baby. So they're camping in the neighborhood, and as it would have it, so is God. God is camping there as well in the form of this tiny child who's been born to these uh, very concerned, very put-out parents. So What made these shepherds candidates for good news? We think about who God appeared to, who the angels came to in the first century. Why them? Why not someone else? Well, we know when we read the Gospels why not other people. These shepherds were an inherently humble caste. They were in the lower echelons of their social, uh, the possible social standing in their society, And that's who God came to. God, every time, always veered away from the wealthy and powerful. And for good reason. When word came to King Herod, we remember King Herod in the New Testament was an, uh, he was an imposter king, really. He was an Idumean. He wasn't an ethnic Jew. He, He was outside, and he wasn't trusted, and he wasn't loved, for sure. And he he was uh, power-grabbing, violent, 
And when you read the history of the family of Herod, they often murdered uh, people who there was always intrigue and murder and violence. And so when Herod, the wise men later we know come and they are looking for the Messiah who's been born and all Herod does is send out soldiers to murder all the possible candidates to be this baby who are two years old or younger. That's why God avoided sending the message. He sent the message to people who didn't have a bias, who didn't have a motivation to misuse the information that would come about this baby being born, the king of the world, the king of eternity. God himself come to be with us. And and so we read about in the scripture the slaughter of the innocents, how the scripture says that Rachel is inconsolate and she won't be comforted because her children are taken away and they're no more. And we see how that's how powerful people misuse uh, Christianity or they misuse the message of uh, Christ. And so shepherds could be trusted to obey the message and do no harm with it. And that's not such an easy task when you think about the history of human beings. Think about the uh, three letters KKK. And if you know anything about history, the fuller uh, term was Christian Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. You know, it's like they take the idea, the message of of, uh, what Christianity was about and distort it and misuse it. So it's really easy for people to take the message of Christ and to distort it, to misuse it. The Crusades, historically, were an example of people wrongheaded, marching forward, you know, with power and not with humility and not with gentleness and not with a Christ-likeness, you know, anything but that. We also also often see, you know, power politics play out that way where people take the idea of what Christianity is and it's always a mistake to marry it to anything. Just let it be what it is. Let it be God, sovereign over everything, who has his own agenda, his own goal, his own reasons for coming into the world. And that's a safe thing to do, and I think that's a very clear reason why God came to shepherds and not to other people, is because they weren't going to misuse or do harm with the message. But also, secondly here, we see that an angel came. And angels are always saying the same thing when they come, aren't they? Don't be afraid. So we know that people are made afraid. When you read this passage, it's clear uh, in the Greek language, they were, it says they were afraid with much fear. They were double afraid. You know, It lays it out in a way so that we know these guys were terrified by what was happening. And the angels say to them, don't be afraid. But their appearance, his appearance, first evoked fear. They're afraid with great fear, and they're told, don't be afraid, because the message that I've come to you with is not a reason for fear, but of joy. It's a, a message of joy. It's a message that's, that's powerful and full of God's grace and, and God's uh, redemption to humans. He's accompanied by the manifest glory of God that says in the passage that the glory of the Lord shone round about him. You know, there's a word that you sometimes hear people talk about, the Shekinah glory. Maybe you've heard that before. It's not scriptural. It's in the Talmud, but it's a way, it basically just means the visible, tangible 
presence of God. The light that shone there was an evidence to them that these were messengers from God. In fact, the word angel means messenger. They had been sent forth by God with a message. And so the angel came. Thirdly, in the narrative, the angel announced the reason for his appearance. He says, this is why I've come. I bring you great tidings, or good tidings will be for great joy, of great joy for all people, for everyone. So the angel comes, he announces the reason. These days, people have uh, a lot of creative ways of announcing birth and doing gender reveals. Have you noticed that? Like boomers are laughing at you, but we don't get it. But uh, like the millennials and Gen Z, they uh, have all kinds of creative ways. Probably my favorite that I've seen is um, these people that they hired two wrestlers. One was dressed in pink and one was dressed in blue. And like they stage a match in the backyard and like one of the wrestlers puts the other one through a table and all kind of things and the suplexes him and all these things. And finally, one pins the other. I can't remember which color one, but uh, that was their gender reveal. Like whoever got pinned, the winner, you're having a boy or a girl, whatever it was. But uh, it was creative, I'll give them that. Not as creative as this, okay? This is a birth announcement. That's exactly what's happening is that God says, let me show you how it's done. I'll just send like an angel and then a host of angels. And they came to announce the most important birth that's ever occurred in the history of humankind. This angel of the Lord. It's the first dramatic birth announcement. The angel announced good news of great joy. God's target audience is all human beings. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the message of hope that's given to us, this message of the possibility of peace coming into our life, the possibility that the turmoil that we know because of our sin and the alienation that it causes, it can end as we give ourselves to the Messiah, Jesus. He's born in the town of David, Bethlehem, the house of bread. He's the bread of life. That's the what the scripture shows us. He was the promised Messiah, and now he's come. He was the Lord, the passage says. Who is the uh, Lord? Well, Lord is the, our master, the one that we give our allegiance to, the one we commit our obedience to. Uh, I've said a hundred times that the proclamation or the confession that saves people is Jesus is Lord. Nobody can be saved truly and regenerate and born into the kingdom of God unless we say Jesus is Lord, not with our mouth but with our heart, right? It comes from the heart. This acknowledgement that I need uh, God as my master and I'm willing to surrender my right to live a self-willed, self-directed life and I'm willing to humble myself and to accept and receive into myself this promised one, this baby, He's the Lord. He was born in a backwater town, a hick town. It was uh, Bethlehem, small town, middle of nowhere. That's why, you know, when they think about Jesus and the disciples, it's like his family eventually settles in a hick town, Nazareth, and it's like, can anything good come from there? It's just nowhere. 
And that's where God shows up in this off-the-map kind of place. Born in a manger. What is the angel doing here? When you read the text carefully, he's evangelizing. He's evangelizing. He comes to proclaim good news. The word is literally the word that comes into English as evangelism. He's proclaiming a message. And we also have a message to proclaim and a responsibility to proclaim it, to give it out, to share it. We're evangelists. Just like that messenger was sent into the world with good news, so are we. Carl F.H. Henry is a famous theologian who said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. In other words, we have a responsibility ourselves to be part of the sharing of this uh, story of good news. So that's, we see this, and then fourthly in the passage, other angels join in the proclamation of God's uh, glory. Other angels join fourthly in, into this host and proclaim the glory of God. They glorified God and announced the arrival of peace. And so peace, as we've seen, is, has di- different facets. One is the proclamation or the reconciliation that can occur between people and God. Jesus mediated that peace in the new covenant in his blood. And as we observe the Lord's Supper, that's what we're recognizing as a new covenant, uh, a way that God has come to finally, completely solve the problem of sin and to offer as a free gift to everyone forgiveness and cleansing of sin. The Christian message is so basic. And so, you know, so needed. And we come to it again and again and again. It's easy to understand. Anybody can understand it. The Bible simply says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous. And the only righteous one came to pay the debt for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, is the gospel message. And that as he was crucified and took upon himself the penalty of our sin, he was raised from the dead in triumph over death and, and over hell and over sin. And so he created and mediated peace in the new covenant in his blood. So when they proclaim peace, that's one of the things that they're proclaiming. They are proclaiming an event. They're proclaiming a historic uh, coming, an arrival that put an end to the problem of, of sin. But also peace is the hard work of Christians in all their relationships and endeavors. The Bible says about every follower of Christ when it talks about our ethic. It says that we, uh, we should be at peace with all people as much as it depends on us. That's the Christian ethic. When the Bible talks about the coming of peace, it's also saying that, uh, you remember how Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. He says, my followers are people who bring peace into their relationships. You know, we think about our lives. If our lives are characterized by drama, if our uh, lives are characterized by conflict, if that's wherever we go, if drama and conflict go with us, we haven't understood the gospel very well or at all. Because the Bible says we are to be people who, when we show up, the hard work of peace shows up, peacemaking shows up too. That we're affecting peace in the way that we are with each other. And that is hard work. 
I don't care who you are. Your family has issues just like my, mine does. Your workplace has issues. Your, if you go to school, your school has issues. Your family, all those places are places where the hard work of peacemaking comes into play. And God sanctions you and me to wade in there and not make it worse, but to be agents of grace and peace. So that we're working toward bringing people together where we see healing needs to occur. And that's just everyday kind of stuff in my own experience is, is that part of my testimony, part of my witness and what I want to be true about my life is that the relationships I'm involved with, I'm putting out the effort to make them better even when it's not easy to do. So when we think about what's the, this idea of peace... How come there's still war? Why is there still conflict? And why is the world still the way it is? Well, God says, look, I'm putting you out here to be people who bring peace through your life. So these angels join in and they show up and they say, look, this is why God has commissioned us now to this location is to announce peace to you, but you're part of it. Christ is the biggest part of it, but you're part of it. And then, fifthly, the shepherds' interest peaked, went quickly to Bethlehem. Quickly. They say, look, let's go see this thing that's been told to us. When I read this narrative, I don't see anybody telling them to do it. They just know that it's the thing they should do. And they do it. They go quickly to Bethlehem. They're instantly obedient. They skedaddled. That's the Greek word for what they did skedaddled they were instantly obedient good for them that's a healthy practice to be instantly obedient procrastination is disobedience deferred obedience is disobedience I think about in the Old Testament King Saul you remember how Saul at first was reluctant to be king and then he became an egomaniac after he became king and he's, he's sent on a mission to destroy the Amalekites who God detested because of their, their immorality. They were a stumbling block to his purposes and his people. He sends Saul out and he says, I want you to eradicate the Amalekites. And Saul was incomplete in his, diso- in his obedience. He was disobedient. And Samuel is sent to confront Saul. And when he goes looking for Saul, the scripture says Saul had gone up to make a monument to himself. That's how we know he was an egomaniac. He had gone to make a monument to himself, and then he went to his hometown of Gilgal. And Samuel confronts him there, and he he says, Why haven't you obeyed the word of the Lord? He said, I did obey the word. And Samuel's like, Well, what's this bleeding of sheep? And I hear sheep and cows. They I shouldn't be hearing sheep and cows. And he spares the king, and he and Saul is full of excuses. But when Samuel uh, speaks to him, he says, "Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams." So when we see how the shepherds behave, that's a good model for us and how we should behave. When God speaks to us, don't defer. Now, I'll 
heard someone recently saying, I really, I've been thinking for a long time, God wants me to connect and do this ministry. And I, I thought, well, why haven't you done it? You know, If God has made it clear to you that you should do it, just go do it. Don't defer. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Obey the Lord. Do what he's, he's telling you you should do. That's what these guys do. Again, out, they didn't even have to be told to do it. Procrastination is disobedience. Procrastination is a forerunner of apathy. All you're doing is giving your enthusiasm and your passion an opportunity to cool. That's why it's important when God impresses on us, look, this is the path for you, what I have in your life, that you proceed and obey and be obedient to the Lord. Because one thing we do not need more of in Western Christianity is apathy. So they are instantly obedient. They march off to go see what it was that they had been told. Sixthly in the passage, the sixth thing we see, the shepherds found Jesus and his family. So they go to Bethlehem and they see there Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And we think about what kind of people these were and what sort of circumstances they were in. It is a mistake to turn them into porcelain figurines or to turn them, I mean, not like in the sense of it's not okay to have a, um, but it's probably one like right in front of me. That's not what I mean. But to leave them in that state in your imagination is not a good. Because that's not what was going on. These were uh, troubled people. I'm sure they had some uh, level of peace in their life, but at the same time, here's a person. Here are people who have been sent to, uh, because of a census to their hometown, which is what they did, like good citizens. They went to be registered in the way that the gospel tells us that they were supposed to uh, when the uh, governor said go and be registered for a census they they did that mary very pregnant she gives birth while they're there outside not in uh in because we know the that there was no place for them but there were other factors that you probably thought about before that here's a teenager essentially who's uh perceived by everyone around her to be pregnant out of wedlock that's the reality for them is that their neighbors, you, okay, God came to you. That's what you're telling me? God came to you? You've never had relations with anyone and yet you're pregnant? That's how this is, you want us, you want us to believe that? This is her reality. And, of course, Joseph is noble. The Bible tells us that an angel also came and confirmed to him what was happening, that Mary's not been with a man, that she is, in fact, a virgin. And that God himself is writing his redemption story through their lives. But listen, these were humans who were dealing with this. Who had gone to Bethlehem and were scrutinized and who were whispered and gossiped about. And so it's interesting that God would send to them what essentially for them had to be a comforting affirmation in the person of shepherds. They say, hey, guess what happened to us tonight? We were just out there camping with our sheep and all of a sudden a host of angels come. An army of angels showed up and told us to come here that God's salvation would be wrapped up in cloths in a manger. And they march out there to, 
to do that. And it just think about this family and who they are. Uh, God sent them, If in the, and there's probably more, but Elizabeth, you remember Elizabeth was Mary's uh, cousin who also was going to give birth miraculously to John the Baptist. In her old age, she had been able to conceive. And Elizabeth shows up to her, and the baby leaps in her womb. And there's these beautiful exchanges of songs that get recorded and left to us in the Gospels. But God sent Elizabeth to confirm to Mary, excuse me, this Messiah is the Savior, the salvation. He sends not only Elizabeth, but angels, both to Mary and Joseph and also to Zechariah. And then Zechariah and Elizabeth are a comfort, and they also confirm the message about the Messiah. Simeon, when they go up to have Jesus uh, circumcised on the seventh day, Anna, a prophetess, Simeon, a prophet, and then those are the ones and probably others who show up the wise men in the story. So over and over again, it it could be... uh, extrapolated, I guess, from these details that they needed these comforts and assurances. And the Bible says what Mary did was treasured them up in her heart that that she could ponder them. She kept these things and held on to them so that she could continue to reflect on God's goodness and to be assured. And then seventh in this passage also, the shepherds returned to their work gratefully, openly praising God for the experience of having met the Savior. That's how the uh, narrative proceeds. They go back to their small wives. They go back to their everyday grind, seemingly minor and meaningless, nobodies. But here they are in the Bible, right? Seem like nobodies. But they show up in this story that people have read all over the world, century after century, decade after decade, millennia after millennia. We may think that our small lives have very little bearing on the rest of the world. But we truly do not even know who might be touched by our our faithful obedience as servants to Christ. They just went back to work proclaiming, it says, to everybody they encounter, telling everyone about what happened. So I would guess, I don't know of any celebrities in this room, anybody that has any, like, fame in this room, it's fairly minor, I would say, me included. There aren't any celebrities here. We just go back to our small lives, but not meaningless, right? Because what we can see is that when we have the message of the gospel and we commit to be people who make peace, our lives are going to have impact and meaning. The video that we saw shows us that life is complicated. And any one of us, I think, would say, amen, life is complex. Shifts and changes, it takes on forms we don't anticipate. And yet peace through Christ is God's first step to a whole life of peacemaking and of experiencing peace and having the resource of peace that we can have inside of ourselves 
because of his spirit and his word and his work. Often his work is coming to us through the mouths of friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who care for us, who speak a word of encouragement to us when things are difficult. Our place is active participants in bringing peace, healing, and reconciliation to pass may escape us. We may say, well, Jesus brought the advent of peace. What part do I have? What's you know, my role in this? But he shows us that his coming to us has opened the door for you and I to embrace his way of bringing peace. My peace I leave with you, he said, not as the world gives. That's not the kind of peace I give. He says, but my peace comes through people who practice humility, people who have been the recipient recipients of grace. There's something about knowing that we don't deserve what we've got and that tra- transforms our attitude about it, or it should. We're also, like these angels, messengers of good news, which is for all people. For everybody that you meet, you're not going to encounter a single human being who does not need the good news about Jesus Christ. Every single one of us need that gospel. When people who know the Prince of Peace commit, commit to peacemaking behaviors, the advent of peace becomes a reality. That's part of God's purpose. It's why even though you can turn on the news today and without any trouble, if you watch news all day today, you would see reports of some armed conflict, whether it's in the Ukraine or wherever it is, all those things are still ongoing, but God says, I've commissioned and sent you into the world to make peace wherever you are through the gospel and through your ethic, through your way of being, and my peace I give to you. We do our part to bring wholeness and alignment in the world as much as it depends on us. We wade into the complexity of life on mission to be people of peace. And, of course, this starts with Jesus, the Messiah, who made peace for us on the cross. And so today, as we come to this time of commitment, those are the clear truths that we see in the gospel message for us. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand together and sing our closing song. As always, this is an opportunity for you to respond to the good news that you've heard And you may want to become part of this fellowship, or you may want today to receive Christ as your Savior and be baptized in obedience as a follower of him. Remember what we said about obedience, that it's not uh, to procrastinate, it's to disobey. So if anything that Christ has impressed upon you as a uh, step of following up as a disciple of him, we encourage you now to do so. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for the scripture. Thank you that the Prince of Peace has come. And even if the world around us doesn't register that in its appearance, we know that it's the case, that peace has come to us and that you've brought peace and you've commissioned us to live just that way. And so I pray for anyone today who um, uh, needs to respond to you, that you'll give them the uh, the peace inside themselves, Lord, just to say yes to whatever it is you, you say to them. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.